Welcome to Antitrust Code by Concurrences. Concurrences is the leading antitrust database with over 30,000 articles on competition law. Concurrences is also the largest network of antitrust experts with lawyers, economists, enforcers, and academics in 85 countries. By listening to this podcast, you will learn the fundamentals of competition law and hear about the latest antitrust news thanks to our guests, the best experts in the antitrust world. Thank you very much uh, for this uh, very kind uh, welcome. Uh, and thank you very much also for uh, organizing this discussion about competition law enforcement uh, in the heart uh, of the Silicon Valley. Um, I want to, uh, to tell you a story. And uh, it's a story of an antitrust enforcer who was named Rip. Uh, Rip van der Winkel. The story begins uh, actually on the 8th of June 2007. And uh, Rip has flown all the way here to San Francisco. Uh, And what he wanted to do was to attend uh, this very much whispered about presentation by Steve Jobs of this uh, very first new Apple product, product called the iPhone. You know Rip not too keen on hard work and and coming to the hotel, the minibar is very tempting. So one drink leads to another and eventually he falls asleep. But when he wakes up realizing that he has failed to set his alarm clock and he misses uh, the presentation, he seriously oversleeps. And not just by a few hours, No, when he turns on his Blackberry uh, and looks at the screen, well, he realized that he's been sleeping for 16 and a half years. It's now the 11th of February, 2024. But he's actually a keen antitrust enforcer, contrary to his name brother back in the days, who was, I think, a bit on the lazy side and escaped a nagging wife. He's a very keen antitrust enforcer. And uh, he's not easily discouraged. So he gets back to GG Comp in, in Brussels. And from here, he sees the vast changes of two decades. The most obvious changes, they're good. They are impressive. The structure of our economies has taken evolutionary leaps. A boom in digital services have led to a massive Uh, productivity gains. Much of the value asset from these uh, efficiencies, well, they have given rise to a powerful new sector of the economy. And RIB, of course, also realizes that also traditional sectors have digitalized. But I think you share with him also a feeling of unease. His antitrust radar is on. How much market power can digital large players exert? And his concerns only increases when he understands the true nature of the economic evolution that has taken place. And the evolution was not so much the technology in itself, but rather how the technology changes the fundamental functioning of the market. 
digitization makes data an essential asset in nearly every market. At first, it seems like an obvious uh, advantage. The more data businesses have, the more they can uh, tailor their services to their consumers and operate uh, efficiently. All good. But as any good antitrust enforcer, risks are to be observed. Due to massive network and scale effects, incumbent players hold an advantage that makes their position very difficult to contest. And I think what he also saw was that digital players, they have become ecosystems. And in these ecosystems, both platforms itself and third parties coexist. Sometimes in a supplier-consumer relationship, sometimes as competitors, and sometimes as both. And that raises a multitude of interoperability and fairness issues. There is a reason to be concerned. There is a reason to be alarmed. All of this, RIP concludes, uh, means that tipping points towards dominance can be reached much, much faster than what was seen in a non-digitalized world, in a market where you don't have the same dynamics. And thinking about the toolkit of the Competition Law Enforcer 2007, how long it takes to complete an investigation, obviously someone like RIP feels anxious. And looking at the concentration in digital markets, well, anxiety is not enough. It is panic that takes hold. First instincts for someone like RIP would be to take drastic measures to restore competition. His mind remembers, of course, the standard oil case. Thinks of the trust-busting spree to smash big tech into smaller tech fragments. But when Rip finally makes it back to his office in GGComp, there is actually a familiar face, despite of the two decades that has almost passed. It's an old colleague named Judith. While he slept, she rose to the ranks, now commissioner for competition. And the commissioner tells Rip not to panic, explaining that obviously competition law enforcement has evolved with the markets that it serves. And there is now a dual approach to digital markets, ex ante regulation and competition law. And the need for ex-ante regulation uh, relies on a simple finding. In the platform economy, now it, as it has now become, is driven by a large number of large companies. And they provide a essential uh, digital infrastructure. Social networks, search engines, browsers, operating systems. And the companies that provide them, they have risen to a position of considerable power and they act as gatekeepers to vast portions of the digital economy. So obviously, Judith shows his rips, the Digital Markets Act, the DMA. The emergence of digital regulation, she tells him, 
stems from the economic models based on privately owned digital infrastructure. The DMA as a asymmetrical regulation targeted at the players identified as holding market power. These players are large companies that are in a position of gatekeepers in, uh, digit in, a called, well, in key digital markets. And of this, as you will know, the DMA provides for a gatekeeper designation mechanism. And this mechanism ensures that the right companies falls into scope. And what's designated, well, gatekeepers are subject to a range of clearly defined obligations. And because of these obligations, concrete improvements can be expected. They range from tackling unfair data practices to interoperability uh, obligations with digital ecosystems. And enforcement of the DMA will increase contestability and consumer choice. And the timelines, they are even set in the regulation. Designated gatekeepers have six months to comply with the DMA obligations. So 7th of March is compliance day. All designated gatekeepers should comply with relevant obligations by that very day. And to achieve this, obviously, doesn't happen overnight. A number of the expected changes, they take effort. And uh, this is why they are expected to proactively engage not only with the Commission, but also with third parties well ahead of the deadline. If not, the Commission will not hesitate to open infringement proceedings against gatekeepers that are not compliant. And Judith explains that lessons were learned from the many antitrust cases that were run while RIP was sleeping. There is now a deeper understanding of how to identify harmful uh, forms of self-preferencing or how to ensure that platforms do not use data that they generate unfairly. These and many more lessons to Chelsea's have been applied in the design of the new digital regulation. So the obvious question is, of course, well, does that end antitrust enforcement in digital markets? Not at all. Antitrust work will continue in parallel. And that, of course, is in the very design of the Digital Markets Act, to create a synergy with existing antitrust rules. As an ex-ante instrument, the um, regulation will allow for immediate intervention when gatekeepers break the rules, but an enforcement case can still be undertaken when an abuse is established ex post, of course, following an investigation. And we're already seeing these synergies. In the Amazon market marketplace case of 2022, Amazon offered commitments. They ensure equal treatment of sellers in the ranking of the buy box and how you qualify for prime. 
And these commitments, well, they addressed our concerns uh, in the case. And they related to Amazon's use of competing sellers' transaction data and how it selected offers for the buy box. And uh, measures, well, they addressed our antitrust concerns. And they are also consistent with Amazon's obligations uh, under the DMA. And Judith goes on to explain that antitrust enforcement is also expanding to cover new forms of conduct. For instance, we are increasingly focusing on non-price conduct. So we have charted new territory, and the court has confirmed uh, our efforts. Uh, in Google Shopping, we found that actively uh, giving preferential uh, treatment to one's own products on one's own platform can be abusive. <coughs> and this is so for a super dominant company like Google when leveraging its market power to harm competition in another market. In the Google Android case, the court also upheld our decision. We found that Google's restrictions on device makers that they were abusive because they aimed at protecting its own dominance in search. The court validated our approach to ecosystem competition, thank you, and its impact on the assessment of dominance, conduct, and harm. And obviously, the support by the court is important because the enforcement in digital will not stop. The pipeline is full. For instance, we have the two uh, ongoing investigations concerning Apple. In Apple Music, our preliminary investigation found that Apple uses its platform to restrict app developers from informing users of alternative music subscription services. In Apple Pay, we are concerned that Apple foreclosed rival payment apps by refusing them access to the iPhone's NFC chip, the one that is used for payments. And we aim to uh, bring these two cases to completion in the course, obviously, of this year. We also continue to uh, investigate Google's uh, conduct. Here, the AdTech case. And this could be another case of self-preferencing this time with Google potentially favoring its own ad exchange, the one called AdEx, in, a, in ad selection auctions. In uh, and as you will know, it controls uh, these uh, auctions. And also in the bits uh, that it places using its own ad buying tool. We also send a statement of objection to Meta for tying its classified ads services, the Facebook marketplace, uh, to its personal social network, Facebook. And we are investigating the tying or bundling of Microsoft Teams with other Microsoft products. But it's not the casework in itself. Of course, for someone waking up, it's also important to know what is being done to speed up to streamline procedures. So the obvious mention is the evaluation of Regulation 1, 
and this regulation, uh, this uh, evaluation will conclude early this year. <coughs> Point is simple. When the economy is speaking, speeding up, of course, so must antitrust enforcers. And part of that is due to our rules, part of that is due to our procedures. And of course, this makes someone like Rip feeling better. May be that he has been sleeping, not so much competition enforcers. So the question that remains, of course, is merger control. I think anyone who accustoms themselves with what is happening, uh, Rib as well, uh, astonished to read about the number of tech acquisitions uh, of the biggest players. It is as if they want to buy up everything, he says. I even hear that the online bookstore, Amazon, wants to acquire robot vacuum cleaners. And if you still consider Amazon a bookstore, I think you have been sleeping for quite some time. And what is obviously explained to him is that in merger control, we do have an advantage. We have a long, a consistent practice of enforcing merger rules against vertical and conglomerate effects. So we can build on this track record uh, to develop, uh, I think, actually quite sophisticated theories of harm in non-horizontal digital mergers. And these are wide in range. Google Fitbit of 2020, Meta Customer 2022, Microsoft Activision of last year. And what we did was that we acted to prevent vertical foreclosure by ensuring access to the necessary applications or IP for competitors to run their services on certain platforms or services. And we also prevented the leveraging of market power in a conglomerate setting between device and operating systems. We have remedied such problems by targeted, clear cuts, enforceable access commitments. And this was possible because for closure risks, they came from well-identified and plausible post-merger conduct. But in cases where the conduct that the merged entity could adapt to harm competition cannot be easily circumscribed, we need to consider prohibitions. And this, of course, leads to the more novel theories of harm. With digital ecosystems, the risk is that an acquisition entrenches market power. So I think obvious, the obvious mentioned by Judith is the booking e travely merger. We saw how this acquisition risked strengthening uh, bookings dominance in its core markets of hotels by uh, acquiring a target which is active in a neighboring markets, flights. And this happens because the strength of network effects in combination with consumer inertia. The transaction would have allowed uh, booking to get an amount of additional traffic significant enough to entrench its position in the hotel online travel agency. There's no, there was no comprehensive remedy on the table and we have to block the deal. 
The thing is that we have also become more forward-looking. The aim is to protect innovative competitors from being killed uh, by being acquired before they can disrupt a market. After all, this is what capitalism is about, that innovators can disrupt the market and change market dynamics. Innovation is the heart of a digital economy. If we are to support a fair digitization, we need to make sure that the innovation pipeline stays open. And this means looking into killer acquisitions, or reverse killer acquisitions for that matter, where the risk is that the acquirer will close down its own innovation. Uh, we may have found one in Adobe Figma. We objected to this deal because we believe that it would result in the discontinuation of Adobe's web design tool by acquiring Figmas. After having received our objections, the parties abandoned the deal last December. As you can hear, after having been taken through all of this, uh, RIP is settling into work. But before Judith goes back to her own office, an obvious question comes to mind. Rip van der Winkel, after your very strange experience of seeing all of this in retrospect, retrospect, what would you say is the most important thing for us to do as competition enforcers to prepare for the next two decades? He only has to think for one moment before he answers. At last, he replies, stay awake. And that's the end of my story. Thank you. Financial Times. Uh, is it true that uh, Amazon has not offered any remedies in the iRobot case? And if so, what does that mean for the uh, merger going forward? Well, as you, as you know, it's, it's always difficult uh, to comment on, uh, on ongoing cases. But just to repeat the obvious, as, uh, as I just said in another example, if there is a competition concern and no remedies are, are offered, um, of course, uh, then we have to figure out are these, can these concerns be uh, withheld? Uh, and if so, do we have to prohibit uh, the acquisition? Or in uh, listening to the parties, can our concern be put to rest and we can uh, allow the acquisition uh, to go on? I was wondering um, what your thoughts were on the overlap between industrial policy and competition policy. So looking at um, a company like NVIDIA or similar supply chain issues, where there may be um, differing, um, you know, differing imperatives as to um, um, how you know supply chain issues um, impact the antitrust analysis versus the um, industrial policy analysis with national security issues or other other types of issues. 
Well, I think that the, the world as it has, has developed uh, has made us focus much more on supply chain issues on uh, economic security. The Commission has, has launched a full communication on economic security. We are working on establishing what you could call sort of a European prism for member states to exercise their own competences when it comes to economic security. And as it was said uh, initially here, now I think more or less all member states, they would have a setup uh, for foreign direct investment to see through if that is, uh, is a problem or not. But it's kind of the same as the discussions we have had previously about uh, environmental issues, uh, labor market issues uh, when it comes to a merger. And, and one of the things I've been very careful of is to say, listen, the fact that we have a strong merger instrument should not make us overburden it. It should make us complement the merger instrument with its specific focus on the marketplace with other instruments. And that is actually the case as you see it. We can do our merger assessment. It may then be that member states using specific tools would want to come in and say, this merger cannot happen after all. And the second thing, of course, is the, the novelty of the foreign uh, subsidies regulation, uh, where we have the reporting, reporting obligations if a merger is uh, enabled by a foreign subsidy. And um, I, of course, took notes uh, of, uh, of the suggestion that this was another layer of red tape. Uh, when we... Um, uh, sort of detailed uh, how we would enforce uh, the foreign subsidies regulation. We took a lot of inputs uh, from market participants that our first uh, thoughts were too burdensome and too intrusive, so we simplified it uh, in order uh, not to be uh, as intrusive as it, was, uh, as it was felt. But again, this is a separate uh, instrument that has its own logic. Uh, and I would, um, I, I think it's, it's the best way to keep the merger instrument as it is and then complement if other things uh, are a priority uh, because as I said, it's a reoccurring debate if the merger instrument should also take into consideration uh, environment, uh, climate, uh, labor market, uh, economic security, foreign subsidies. Uh, so we are, are trying to solve these issues in, in this uh, manner that I just uh, explained. So those with a long memory may remember the phase two investigation into payments joint ventures just over 10 years ago. And as I recall, the finding there is that the NFC chip was substitutable with other things. It sounds like the NFC chip is on the menu again. I wondered if this reflects more a change in facts or a change in policy. Well, I, I think it more uh, expresses a, a change in reality uh, as to how uh, important it is to have access to the technology that enables payments. Uh, because what has happened uh, over the years is, of course, that many, many more payment methods has been possible. Uh, but these different and competing payment methods, they rely on the technology on the device. And, and that, for me, is, is the situation that we're in right now. 
And I think it's important, you probably know that we have done quite an, a number of the investigation when it comes to payments, also the back and forth that we have had with Visa and MasterCard over the years, to make sure that we as enforcers also address the very complex issues of the cost of payments. Because this is a hidden cost for most uh, consumers, is a burden on many, many uh, also small and medium-sized businesses, and it's very important for us to make sure that there is a competition to enable payments. Uh, and, uh, and this is one of the things that has informed uh, the investigation that, we are, that is ongoing right now. Good morning, thank you for coming to Silicon Valley. I have a question um, as to what do you think RIP would think about the intersection of AI and competition? Well, this is such a good question that we are asking that to you. Uh, because uh, just before uh, taking off from, from Brussels, uh, we launched a, uh, a questionnaire to explore uh, how does practitioners, uh, how do businesses uh, see what will happen uh, in the marketplace once uh, AI, and we think that will happen really, really fast, becomes um, a, a reality of everyday life in the marketplace. Uh, there may be many uh, different uh, issues that can come to mind. Of course, that market power can be even more entrenched, that it can be even more uh, opaque, uh, what is actually happening uh, in the marketplace. So for us to be fully equipped uh, for a, an economy uh, that is run by artificial intelligence is very important for us to ask and to get uh, the input uh, and the ideas uh, exactly from the marketplace. And it, it, uh, it is, uh, for me, very important uh, over the years exactly to do this, because it, it may be that DD Comp has its offices in the Madhu Tower, uh, but we get nowhere with hybrid tower thinking. Uh, we need to, to actively engage uh, with everyone in the marketplace, and I'm looking very much forward uh, to the results uh, of these questions uh, being asked. Um, uh, for anyone who wants to participate, the deadline is relatively short. Uh, in order to, to focus minds, but I would, I would uh, ask anyone with an interest uh, to participate because it's really important to inform uh, how we will view the marketplace development and, and what it will take for, for our enforcement. Question? Okay. Well, Commissioner, I think we need to thank you very much for uh, joining us today and uh, happy to welcome you for our next event in Paris on March 6th, the Eiffel Tower. Well, uh, first and foremost, congratulations on 20 years. Thank you very much. So you, as you. you can hear, I have almost gone through the, the um, evolution of, uh, of competition law over, over what you have uh, also spun. And I think part of the discussions that you have enabled, of course, also informing how we have developed. So congratulations. and. Uh, You listen to an episode of Antitrust Code by Concurrences. If you want to read more about this topic, check the Concurrences website, where you can find all relevant articles. Follow us on Twitter at Competition Loss and join the Concurrences group on LinkedIn to receive updates on our next podcast.